Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. The Hellmouth Con. The Hellmouth Convention is back, and it's hosting a spectacular event in the place of all places, Torrance High School, the shooting location for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Join us June 15th, 2024 for one day only. Proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center and the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. Visit thehellmouth.org for details. SoonerCon 32. Oklahoma City's longest-running premier pop culture convention returns June 21st through 23rd, 2024. Prepare for three days of cosplay, crafts, tabletop gaming, and legendary guests, all in the friendly town of Norman, Oklahoma. To give back to the community, fundraisers and a live charity auction will be held. Visit SoonerCon.com to reserve your membership. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming back John Billingsley to the show, and he and I are going to talk about one of the first big sci-fi events for 2024, Trek Talks 3. This is an event that is essentially a convention that comes right to your home. You have the ability to go and see the same types of programming you would see at a Star Trek convention right on YouTube. But not only that, it gives you the opportunity to help the world in a very fundamental way. I love when Hungry Trilobite helps people use fandom to make their real life better, and that's exactly what we're going to do here. Trek Talks 3 benefits the Hollywood Food Coalition, where we help people on a very fundamental level by giving through Trek Talks. This is something that will help people get a hot meal, get contacts with the outside world, and just generally get back on their feet after they've been in a tough spot. And we can talk about the connection between Star Trek and the world hunger problem right now. Back on tap, we have John Billingsley. How are you doing this evening, sir? I am peachy keen. Before we start, I want to acknowledge that I am recording in not my bathroom, but my cat's bathroom. Uh, we have moved a litter box down into the basement because the cat just loves to sit next to me at the computer. And we wanted to give him as pleasant experience as we could. It has diminished the pleasantness of my experience being down here, but I digress. Thank you for having me. I'm and glad to have you here. The cat is always welcome, for the record. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure we, he'll probably make an appearance. He usually likes to kind of poke his nose in. And we're talking about something that is quickly becoming one of the key events in any Trek fan's annual calendar. Oh, I like to hear that, and I hope that is true. Uh, it is. It's, it's the third iteration, but it, I mean, every year it gets better and better, and you want to plan your schedule around this. It's called Trek Talks 3. It's an online event, and it is a several-hour block of Trek-based entertainment online for charity, for a eight, very, very good cause. Eight hours long. Eight hours starting at 10 in the morning Pacific time, running till 6 o'clock in the evening. We have four two-hour blocks each block is filled with panels, usually a, a key panel. This year, our cornerstone panel mm -hmm. is the Picard Season 3 Appreciation Panel, lasting about an hour so far. It's Terry Metalis, it's Frakes, it's Brent Spiner, it's, we believe, definitely Gates. Um, Jonathan Del Arco is going to host. We've got invites out to a number of other people. We're looking at a seven or eight person discussion about season three of uh, Picard. We're very excited about that. All of this is to raise money for the Hollywood Food Coalition, which is, uh, in fact, I'm wearing a Hollywood Food Coalition 
shirt. Today is Hollywood Food Coalition lunch bag Sunday. Pretty one sharp. Of, one of the many things we do. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I when we started this three years ago, I thought, well, let's see how this works. And we had a tremendous response from our guests and from the fans. This is the third year. We've got now a 15-person producing team. We're really trying to keep growing it so that the word spreads, the word spreads, the word spreads. Last year, we made about $110,000 for the coalition. Um, the year before, around 80. We're, 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 you know, we'd love to get it up to 150. I think that would be my, my like, ah, goal. Um, yeah. And for anybody who is not from the area, like, and isn't necessarily familiar with the Hollywood Food Coalition, they are a a food bank, a homeless shelter, but they do a lot more than that, and that's what really gets me excited about talking about them. Yeah, and let me give you, I probably some of you probably have because I'm making the podcast circuit because I want to promote the event, and so um, if blood is coming from your ears, you're so sick of hearing my voice, I totally understand. But a quick synopsis: we're we don't we're not a, a shelter because we don't actually house people, but what we do is provide a number of ways to access really good food. And by providing access to food, we are also getting to meet people. And our goal is as we get to meet and know our clients and people in the community, we want to kind of, through coalition building, help introduce folks to one another, all these wonderful organizations that help people in different ways. We're wanting to kind of knit that community of service providers together through the instrumentality of food so that more and more people understand how they can hopscotch from food from us to legal aid, to the next group over, to possible housing situation, drug and alcohol rehabilitation. There's so much need. And a lot of what's tricky is the holes in the social safety net can be quite huge. We kind of want to pull those holes a little tighter and a little tauter. We spread food all over the city. We share with about 150 other groups. We collect ourselves about 3 million pounds of it. And what we're really trying to do is kind of build this communal awareness of how we can help each other as organizations that do specific things, but that can get to know each other better and work together more efficiently. And that's that's what I like. I think the last time we, we mentioned this between you and I, we, we talked about it from a, a human dignity aspect is that as you, it's not just putting food in their stomachs, as important as that is, and as well as you accomplish that task, but it's about getting them the life necessities of getting back on their feet. Yeah, and, and we have a phrase we've been using, we're about 38 years old, called the dignity of choice. It's really important to us when people come to us for a, a nice meal. And this is equally true when we're providing food in a kind of a concierge level fashion to other groups to say, what what would you like? What can we What can we give you? At night, for instance, when people come to us and we serve about 300 people a night, would you like a vegetarian, vegan, or carnivorian meal? Would you like a starch with that of any kind? Would you like a pasta? Would you like potatoes? Would you like rice? Would you like a salad, a green salad, a fruit salad, some bread? What kind of dessert would you like? We've got cake, we've got pie, we've got etc. Would you like water? In, in many instances, we're able to provide coffee. What we're really trying to say is that for people who may not go through a day being accorded much respect, and for people who may not eat at all, except through us, we want to give the very best possible experience we can. Currently, because of what happened during COVID, we're no longer able to serve a sit-down meal. Eventually, as we move towards building a home of our own, because we're on another campus right now that doesn't belong to us, 
we really want to be able to provide as full a restaurant style quality experience as we can, where people would come in, they would sit down, there would be a printed menu, they would have three or four options and we would be able to serve them from soup to nuts. When you establish a relationship with people based on the regularity and the consistency and the quality of the meal that is served and the dignity and the kindness with which they are treated, you open up the possibility of introducing them to other organizations. So we have a medical, dental, and vision van coming to our campus. We ultimately want to have a campus where other service providers can come and be present almost every night. So the people who are what we call navigators working for us now, who are designed to introduce folks to other community partners, would have a full panoply of partners present, a kind of a one-stop shopping center for people in need. And I, I, I'll say one last thing, because this is critically important to me. No small not-for-profit can pretend to do anything other than work in its own burg, its own city, right in the corner where you are. But the panoply of service organizations all over this country are modeling behaviors that ultimately have to be adopted more efficiently by the federal government. That's what happened when Roosevelt took office in 1932. He looked at what was happening in New York. He looked at a woman named Frances Perkins. He said, that's the New Deal. You're doing it there. Come hither. To me, what we are trying to do is model something that might have value for other communities, just as we look to other communities and kind of say, oh, I like what you're doing. Oh, I like what you're doing. Because that's what it's going to take to rebuild this very tattered social safety net that we sadly have let become, you know, a fragment of what it needs to be. And that's what I love about the Trek Talks uh, event and, and the fact that we do such good work for Hollywood Food Coalition, because if somebody is looking at this saying, well, I don't live in Hollywood, that's that's not the point. The point is that there is somebody in your area who needs just as much attention. And and we're very okay with you saying I'm going to put my time and talent there because somebody Absolutely. is going to get it that, that deserves it. Absolutely. I mean, that is when I when I kind of began, I've my whole life been involved in volunteering in different ways for different organizations. But when uh, when Trump won, that was that was particularly um, um, heartbreaking for me for what I thought it it represented about what had happened to us as a country and our fracturing and our fragmentation and the rise of of anger and Duke's uppedness. I'm a great believer that, you know, the only the only solution, which is why I love Star Trek, the only solution is coming together and recognizing that we 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 lift ourselves and we lift our own joyfulness when we help each other. There are places that you can go in your community that need you, and it can be as simple as cleaning up the park or uh, making sack lunches and delivering them to a hospital or teaching a kid to read. But there's a way to get more involved if you're feeling lonely or isolated or angry or lost. And I think it's the way through and the way out of this dilemma. It, it, it is about reconnecting with what it is that gives you great joy. And that's usually rooted in kindness and giving back. So I, as much as I love to ask people to consider making a donation to us, it is just as important, maybe even more important for me to ask people to think about where can I go and replenish? Where do I go and reconnect? out in the world that would help other people, you know? And that's something that I think, and, and I think most of us would agree is built into the Star Trek fandom. And, and the idea is that you look at a systemic problem and you and I were talking about systemic problems earlier before we got recording. And you have to say, how can I break the system down? How can I tweak the system so that maybe this problem 
isn't as big of a deal five years from now, 10 years from now. And obviously, you know, all of us have, there are very few people who have the brain power or the capacity or the stamina or the money or the connections to make a grand difference on a big stage. But in the end, we're all part of this incredibly rich mosaic of care and concern. And I think the intention, the desire to make a difference can lead you into a world where what you are capable of doing is so much vaster than you would have imagined. Um, it, it has been an incredible experience for me these past seven years because I went in to volunteer and make a fruit salad and wash some dishes. And I eventually joined the board and I became the president of the board. For a little while, I was one of the co-volunteer, not getting paid, executive directors of the organization. And the idea that it could be envisioned, that I had a role to play in imagining the future and creating programs and mechanisms to help more and more people. I never would have imagined this is what my life would have been so centered towards. I'm, I'm an actor. I thought my whole life was just going to be, you know, devoted to that. And I would do some volunteer work on the side. That script flipped for me about seven years ago. I'm happy to take a gig every now and again. But this became such an animating vision. And it just started with the desire to kind of see if I could do a little bit more. Um, it, it, I, it, it changed my life in ways. The impulse changed my life in ways I would not have ever thought could have happened. But that's one of those things that, like you said, it's been part of your life in some degree or another. You just didn't necessarily see to what extent. Yeah, it was back burner and then it became mm -hmm. front burner. And, and, uh, and it's one of the things that interests me because I think as we move through this, I think, you know, rather dark period in American history, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what the difference is between their back burner and their front burner. Mm -hmm. you know? um, some people, I think, have brought, unfortunately, uh, intolerance of racism and negativity and anger from the back burner to the front burner. And I think it is incumbent upon many of us to realize that what we need to bring from the back burner to the front burner is our positivity, our vision for grace, our kindness, our compassion, and our willingness to get involved in our communities. And for the people who don't participate in the racism, the intolerance, the bigotry, the poverty, and yet we see that out there and we say, but that's not me and I can't stop that and I don't know what to do. What you just said, bringing the positivity forth is is really a great first step and that it can be found in finding people to help instead of finding people to hurt. And it also is a, it is what, in a, you know, not to be in a soapbox, but this is just something that is that I have found to be mm -hmm. meaningful. Because I, particularly when I was acting more and was traveling a lot, you could find yourself someplace, you know, and sitting at a bar. I like to have a few. Mm -hmm. uh, and the guy next to you is kind of talking in a way that you find objectionable. I began to realize that the only way through that, short of like, you know, I'm going to go move over to the other end of the bar, which I don't like to do, is to say, you know, putting our political differences aside or our doctrinaire differences aside, I'm just curious, what is the thing you do in your community that brings you the most joy, that makes you feel like you're giving back, that kind of makes you feel like you're part of a fabric that you're enriching? Well, I'm curious, what would you say that is? And I've never really found anybody who hasn't been able to kind of talk about what they do that they do because they're they're driven by altruism. It's there in all of us, you know. It, to me, it's back burner, front burner. I think what happens sometimes is the place that's that's good in us and that that is deep in us just gets back burnered, you know. 
it gets backburnered by stress, it gets backburnered by poverty, it gets backburnered by anger, it gets backburnered by exhaustion, it gets backburnered because there are people who are effectively saying, put that anger on the backburner, bring it forward, because it's going to profit them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, I, it's it, it, all things live in all of us. That's what I love about acting. We are capable of anything. We think everything. We feel everything. It's back burner, front burner, back burner, front burner. So, you know, that, that to me is where I think Star Trek has incredible power to front burner shit more, you know. That's that's a really good way of looking at it. It's something I, I was kind of playing with in my head as you were talking there. Uh, like You get a couple of Star Trek fans together, and you know, I've been to many conventions, many parties, many events, and you get people who suddenly get really, really excited about just thinking of cool ways to live, thinking of different ways that aren't part of the way they live their lives, but the way they want them to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, what's so... I didn't really perceive this for a while. I think the the Trek Talks has really animated this for me, is this odd confluence between, you know, celebrity and philanthropy and the fan interest in access I, I more and more feel like I want to keep figuring out ways to encourage people who have been fortunate enough to get to a point where they're, they have some celebrity and where that celebrity has significance to people. To say that the philanthropic impulse can actually be monetized for the benefit of a charity. Like, you know, I recently sold a dinner party at our house for 10 grand to a wonderful fan, you know? I mean, obviously a well-heeled fan. Mm-hmm. got it but invited all you know my star trek friends you know it it strikes me that you know more and more star trek celebrities and celebrities and actors generally could participate in in those kinds of things and offer a form of access to generate revenue for their charities um i'm i'm intrigued at ways to kind of lift more and more boats through those things that people seem to enjoy from a fan's point of view we do it we do it at conventions Mm -hmm. convention is about selling your photo and making x bucks for yourself i kind of would love to see if we can continue to evolve ways in which that's that that the fan's desire to get to know you could actually be you know elevated in ways to benefit jerry it wasn't that long ago that the idea of a celebrity doing a convention was a bit unseemly. It was something you did maybe a little on the sly because you were you were in between gigs for a little too long. Mm-hmm. And and now that fandom is cool, suddenly doing that is cool, and it, we, we can start to see this could be something that that like you said becomes a a way to help a lot more people. It become now that people are into it, let's put it to the best use possible. I, I, it intrigues me. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm right now. It's just sort of like, you know, I, I kind of spitball it out there. I don't know that I have any um, I- any brilliant notions in how to collectivize us in a in a in a more structured way. But it does strike me that you know somebody who might be making five thousand dollars at a convention and and has a charity that they love. Maybe instead of signing autographs for themselves, maybe there's a little bit more of a, would you consider going to a convention where you're there specifically to raise money for a charity you care about? Um, one has to be delicate about that because, you know, in, in essence, 
you're kind of turning around to people who have some celebrity and saying, maybe your donation to the charity that you support, or maybe asking you to think more aggressively about the, the charities you support and what you can do for them, maybe that means you leave some dough on the table. But you know, it, it that's maybe where the fans would appreciate and and care more about what you're up to if they felt that you were in partnership with them to do something cool you know and it maybe that extends the notion of philanthropy forward through our community a little bit more wholeheartedly you know it was a con <laughs> i went to many years ago that and you know i I'm those people I'm checking the guest list constantly seeing who was at it who came back and there there was a certain celebrity I I don't know if I should give this person's name out because it's it was a while ago I don't know what their circumstances are now but they were never on the guest list until like the last day or so when they were added as a rush and I found out that they were there with the intention of giving all of the money they were making to charity they were just added on at the last minute. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know why they happened to be in Oklahoma at that point in time, but they were they just wanted to do a good thing. And I'm glad they could. Yeah, that's lovely. And and you know, I'm sure that does happen too. I mean, I'm sure that there are actors who are are going to the various shows and what have you and and tithing or perhaps even making all of what they you know, make a donation to a charity. I mean, it, it it is it is in a weird way, and and I don't you know I'm kind of getting off on a little riff and a tangent maybe, but what intrigues me because my I'm the chair of the development committee for the Hollywood Food Coalition now. I stepped down as the board president, and what interests me is that these networks that that we all have networks in sports or music or entertainment or business. The idea of continuing to try and expand those networks and how you get people interested in leaning in to your work, to the philanthropy you support, it's a challenge. It's a messaging challenge, and it's a structural challenge. And I, I feel like in a weird way, because the Hollywood Food Coalition is about coalition building, that my, my, my thought process always comes back to all networks are coalitions. What, what is the message that makes a network become a bigger network what is the message that you put out that brings people together and lets them join together that is exciting to them i want to be part of that i, I want to be part of that I, I want my friends to be part of that too and i think it is somehow this confluence of celebrity philanthropy and socialization that can be a driver and maybe is in many respects already but that intrigues me as i start thinking more and more about what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You know? It, I do know. And I'm thinking, I'm hoping that a lot of people have that same mentality, even if they're not celebrities. Like my, my fellow fans and I, we we get together, we decide to go to a con, and that's that's a big weekend. And it's it's a big expense for a lot of us. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, you figure out your travel, your tickets, your hotel, and you're, you're gonna do some shopping. Yep. And, I just ask you, and I I feel a little uncomfortable myself because I know where I'm going with this here, is like once you put all the money you're going to spend together, can you find a way to take maybe a little off the top and put it to somebody who's not thinking of going to a convention that weekend? If you can find a a, a needy person and get, get give that to them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a great idea, too. I mean, I all the different ways that people kind of come together, and I see this all the time, and I, I, even as I'm speaking and I'm hearing my voice in my head, I don't want to sound like I'm, like, you know, inventing anything. It happens everywhere. I, I just am always interested when I see it working, and I stop and kind of go, how do they do it? How does that work? How do they keep generating more interest, more growth, more money for more charities building up? Because in the end, the federal government is simply not responsive enough to the need in this country. And as difficult as it is, it does fall on private citizens and private individuals to create and knit and sew together mechanisms to help people in need in a variety of ways. So, so you know, much as I would like to wave my magic wand and change the structure of our governance to allow for more progressivism, in the end, I do kind of feel like as a pragmatist, it comes down to how you and you and you and you and you in your communities can do more by knitting people together to help. I, I find those questions fascinating, you know. Yes. And speaking of questions, I mean, going into the last Trek Talks event, I was not skeptical, but I was very curious how the charity aspect would mesh with the, the fandom aspect there. And I mean, hours of programming, I know I'm going to love it because I'm watching the people I enjoy watching, talk about things I enjoy. And I'm like, this is a great time for me. But then I started to see that while people are watching this and then we have our chat rooms and we're texting and that's the part that I really do advocate. Get, find yourself a Facebook group, a chat room, follow it on Twitter and get involved in the conversation because while you're seeing this, the Trek stuff, you're seeing information about not just Hollywood Food Coalition, but like I said, other systemic problems going on. We start to understand why these cracks in our system are there, why people have a hard time filling them. And that starts a conversation with the very same people you were just talking about, whether Janeway should have killed Tuvix. Now you're starting to say, okay, why do we have trouble getting sandwiches of these people? Why You start having people who are really good at solving problems trying to solve problems. And probably opening their walls yeah. too. And, and and a couple of things I also want to add is I, I, I would be remiss in not thanking, as I, I always must, uh, Rod Roddenberry and the Roddenberry Foundation for being huge supporters of ours, for being supporters of our organization, for being supporters of Trek Talks. Um, what a generous and big hearted man he is. And, you know, I love the work that the foundation does. We also have something called, and he's helping to support this as well now, the Tractivism Podcast. This kind of emerged from the first few years of our Trek Talks show, we had a panel devoted to what some folks, including myself from the Food Coalition, were doing in the community. And through uh, wonderful conversations with Matthew Simone and Heather Barker, uh, emerged the idea that maybe Trektivism, we could start telling more and more stories on a more consistent basis about what fans were doing. So this year's Trektivism panel is going to be devoted to fans who are doing cool things. And the podcast that we're now going to start airing on a monthly basis will be devoted again primarily to the fan community and the ways that fans are doing cool and wonderful things all over the country, all over the world to help. In part because we want to bring some of these experiences out and in part because we might be introducing folks to other uh, organizations that they might want to join and get involved with. You know, um, I'm always stunned and I, I, I really appreciate this when I travel and go places and meet some of the people who have fan clubs and fan groups, that almost always there is a, um, you know, there, there are fundraising mechanisms and give back mechanisms to help people in need. 
a fundraising mechanism and a give back mechanism is, is there a distinction between those two well you know yeah because people can fundraise to throw a party people can fundraise to i mean you know I don't mean to sound like I'm judgmental, but there are all sorts of ways you can go out and pass the hat. You can pass the hat to, you know, pay your own rent. You could pass the hat to pay your mom's medical bills. You can pass the hat because you want to make a short film. You know, let a hundred flowers bloom. Given the, you know, finite resources most of us have, my, my inclination is to say when I see groups that are passing the hat because they want to make sure that they can help flood victims or they want to help, you know, people whose houses have burned down. They want to help, uh, you know, support their local hospital. Uh, there's a part of me that just kind of gravitates more towards that impulse. Uh, that's what I mean. Okay. Okay. So I just want There's fundraising and then there's what do you do with the money. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to say anybody is unworthy or, or that their efforts are not to be respected. I just want to make sure that we're, we're being very clear on what, what kind of passing the hat we're talking about. Yeah, that's just, again, that's my, you know, uh, again, let a hundred flowers bloom and I totally get it. There, there are, for everybody who's out there doing, you know, crowdsourcing to make enough money to make their short film or to get their, you know, to get their, you know, get their drummer a new drum kit. I get it. There are a lot of different things. I, I, I'm always interested when I find uh, agglomerations of, of fans who mm -hmm. on some level have come together because what they're trying to do is raise money and awareness for something that has absolutely nothing to do with them, you know, that is purely about, you know, I, I want to make a difference in my community. I find that, I always find that very moving. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, I, I mentioned before that I, I think that the, the need to for, to fight hunger, the need to get people the basic subsistence, that's a very hard issue to ignore. And I think that we, it, the fact that people do struggle with this is something that should bother us all on a fundamental level. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's weird because it's sort of counterintuitive, but I think people tend to just assume that hunger is not... Um, is not as big an issue as it is. One, one, and it depends upon how you examine this metric and de depends upon how you evaluate the statistics. Arguably one in five American kids is food insecure. Not necessarily meaning that they're gonna go hungry on any given day, but they're gonna wake up and they may be living in a food desert where there isn't a lot of great food. They may have a difficult time accessing that food. They may not sure be sure when they're gonna eat, what they're gonna eat, if they're gonna have enough. The idea that food is an animating question, because for most of us, you know, the four fifths of us, it isn't. We wake up and, you know, we don't think twice. We're going to have our three squares. If we want a snack. We got a snack. Check the refrigerator, yada, yada. The idea that one in five American children doesn't have that luxury, I think, in the richest country in the history of the world, is... Um, it says something about our values as, I won't say as a people. But it says something about the way that the values of the people we have chosen to lead us have, um, I think, corrupted our spirit. And that's not a blanket statement, because I think there are a lot of people who go into politics for incredibly altruistic reasons. I've known a number of people in my life who are in politics, and I have enormous respect. But the system is fundamentally about dukes up, beat the other guy, win, 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 make money to do it. And it corrupts you. It can corrupt you. And our system right now, unfortunately, rewards a certain level of, of greediness and short-sightedness and um, lack of emotional and moral compass that does not consequently encourage altruism, charity, and the big picture questions about what makes it, you know, what makes us a civiliza civilization.
it's that last one that I really get hung up on is that I really feel like, and this should be visible no matter what side you're on. I really, I really think this is one of those things that if you take two steps back, you have to see this. Our system doesn't allow people to benefit from solving big problems, from taking long-term solutions, finding long-term answers. It just benefits the short-term, I gotcha. And that's- And there are a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons for that. I mean, you know, not to get political, but I will say for me, the Supreme Court failing to step in and say, yes, we have a role to play when it comes to uh, stopping gerrymandering from getting out of control. Of, of every political decision that I think our Supreme Court has botched in the last 25 years, to me, that is the one they've botched the most. If we have gerrymandered seats, it means that people like a Marjorie Taylor Greene is not running in a competitive House election. And she can effectively present herself as somebody who only exists to poke a needle in people's eye. And politics is not about poking needles in your eye. It's about fixing shit. You know? well, at least it should be. It and should the fact be. that it's not that's when we have to step in as people not to not to just brush what this very important issue under the rug but it's like this is what we can do people like you and i is we can say we're going to have to step in where the bigger system is failing us exactly exactly and and you know hope as as was true i think when you know franklin roosevelt always said that progressives get one whack at the pinata for conservatives four because the nature of the way our system is structured uh the right wing has a bigger voice unfortunately I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm a left-winger. I'm a progressive. For those who are watching who may not share my politics, my apologies. But I, I would say that when Roosevelt took power, he knew that the solutions were on the ground in the cities and the towns, and he had to pay attention. And I think that is the one secret weapon that progressives have, is that if you are feeling like you don't plug into the federal system, there are lots of ways you can do shit in your towns and communities. Those things bear fruit. We may not be alive to see how they bear fruit. We may not even understand what we're building at the time, but that's where the work happens, you know, all over this country. And you could, you know, throw a dart into a dartboard, you know, and it's bumfuck Iowa. You go to bumfuck Iowa and you find out who's doing what in bumfuck Iowa. There are some big hearted people who are doing cool things in bumfuck Iowa that are like, wow, that's smart. How would you think of that? You know, it's amazing. And when you have the interest, the, the the desire to plant a tree that you know you'll never sit in its shade, yeah. that's that's when real problems get solved. And if this is maybe a little heavier than you're used to hearing on this show, that's where Trek Talks comes in because we can take this exact same conversation, these exact same problems, and wrap it in something that's a little more fun to talk about, like Star Trek. And that's why we're going to do this. Yeah. And that's what Star Trek is supposed to do. I mean, that's why people are, you know. I was a fan of the original show, 66, 67, 68. And those episodes that were about, you know, why do we have wars and what what does it mean to be a racist and et cetera, et cetera. Some of them we look at now and they may feel a little too on the nose in terms of their polemical point of view. But Star Trek was actually wanting to talk about the society we lived in and embrace and uh, the, 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 the conversation. Some of the episodes were not doing that, but many of them were. And Star Trek down all of these years, in my opinion, when it's at its most interesting, is finding this really sweet spot where the show is about something having to do with the sciences, the politics, and the people all mixed together. I find that those episodes, when they really nail it, to be great. Agreed, agreed. And when you find yourself, and I've always like people tell people, what I love is when I can look at science fiction and I find myself identifying with a character who is 
maybe not just a different color than I am or a different uh, orientation than I am, but we're talking not even the same species as I am, not even from the same history yeah, as I am. Yeah. I, I think Ursula K. Le Guin was one of the greatest sci-fi writers because she just she just asked you to wrap your brain around mm -hmm. such intricately and and differently conceived ways of thinking um when when a great writer does that in any genre um is what attracted me to, to to drama you know that's what acting is supposed to be about you know you're perpetually asked to put yourself into the uh, into the shoes of somebody else and kind of think how would that guy think how would that guy feel what motivates that person why do they do what they do you know, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great gift that the arts give us, you know. And when people wonder about the arts and then they wonder about that, and this is a whole different tangent, I will not go down there, but I will just say that that is the value and that you start to start to see put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You see their perspective. And that's something that is very difficult to do. You know, just looking at numbers and figures, you have to actually feel what they feel, do what they do, see what they see. Yeah, yeah, I. I of all the things I kind of miss, I mean, fortunately, my wife is extraordinary and has been my partner in the last seven years in helping to build and expand the food coalition through service on the ground. We, we started, she started something called the Pickup Artists. So when we, we joined seven years ago uh, in 2017, and we served this amazing hot meal, and we handed out shoes and socks and toiletry kits and sleeping bags and bus patches and laundry vouchers and yada yada. But we were concerned that it was still relatively small and that the funding wasn't there to allow us to survive. Our chief cook and bottle washer was a volunteer. She was going to step down. She was in her 60s. We didn't have the ability to go out and hire an executive director. So we thought we've got to find ways to do more in our community. So Bonnie started something called the Pickup Artists. We picked up food on the TV shows and movie sets after lunch. And we started sharing it with our own kitchen, but we also started sharing it with other groups. That grew into the exchange, which now rescues three million pounds of food a year, which has led to much more robust coalition building. And that is a message that resonates with people, and it has driven more investment, which allows us to do more, you know, a, a, a virtuous circle of growth. What I miss is the hands-on stuff, because I miss making fruit salads and washing dishes and getting to serve on the line. We still have our Sunday sack lunch program, and I go there. That's my my personal service. One of the challenges in the not-for-profit world is that if you start trying to build it, you end up spending a lot of time doing the building and not as much time doing the, the serving. And there's room and need for both kinds of folks, you know. Um, I'm usually more at my desk, like, you know, beep, 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 beep. Bonnie is out there like, you know, I just found somebody who's going to donate 50 boxes of onions. I got to go pick them up. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. I love those onions. Yeah, well, then, boy, you'd be happy here because they're pouring in. <laughs> okay, so when is Trek Talks and how can people tune in? January 13, go to trektalks.net. And I'm going to mention our partners. You can also go there, and the links will be there. You can watch on YouTube. You can watch on Facebook. But Roddenberry Podcast, Trek Geeks, and Trek Movie are all sponsoring us. And finally, you could also go to Hollywood Food Coalition, which is hofoco.org. You could learn more about us. And again, you could make a donation, and you could also find the link to the show. I'm going to put everything on my website, aaronbosick.com, in the show notes. 
I'm going to strongly encourage you to go on your social media platform of choice and find a group that's already talking about this and try to get in on the conversation. It's a great idea. And last, a couple last things. One, I totally get this because a huge range of people in the Star Trek universe, uh, some people who are making lovely and, and healthy contributions, and we so appreciate it. But please watch regardless. If you can't make a contribution, that's fine. One thing we would suggest is if you don't feel you can make a contribution, maybe a little more elbow grease when it came to spreading the word. You know, it, if you don't it, feel like you can, you know, fork over a buck, maybe another friend of yours could fork over a buck for you and reach out to him. You know, social media, yada, yada, yada. Just, you know, what we're really trying to do is see if we can expand the size of the audience. Because when we travel around, go to conventions, what have you, I, I still am aware that we are still not actually like on that many people's radar screens, you know? So if we could keep lifting that uh, story up, that would be heaven. It's just two taps. If you find the the uh, the show and you hit that little button with like a square that's an arrow pointing up, it's a share icon. You can text it to, I'm sure you know a Star Trek fan in your friends list there. Send it to on Facebook, send it to as a text, as an email. Just spread the word a little bit more. We have had, I had, I, I mean, I'm so blessed, and, and I include you in this, is that over the course of the last three years, the people who have helped us tell the story, stunning to me the web of storytellers, networkers, podcasters, et cetera, in the Star Trek universe who are all willing to kind of pitch in and help. I've got 15 people, basically, who came forward and said, I'd love to join, I'd love to help you out, you know. The wonderful Lori Ulster from Track Movie has been, you know, like a goddess. Jay Stoby, Bill and Dan from Track Geeks, Heather and Matt, who just took over this project of running and creating a monthly podcast, Trektivism, John Champion, um, incredible work all the way down the line the last three years with the uh, Roddenberry podcasts. Um, and, and, you know, the Sci-Fi Sisters have been on board. They've been marvelous. They're hosts for us. They, they're doing a marvelous panel this year that's sort of about the legacy of Star Trek from the African-American female a viewpoint, obviously having to do a bit with Michelle, but Michelle Hurd is going to be a guest. Women of Science, Amy Imhoff is a, is a panel host. Women who uh, are, are doing extraordinary work in the physical sciences. Um, we're hoping maybe Dr. Mae Jamison will be part of that panel too. Wow. Uh, I, I, so much of what I want to do is kind of like have, which is why it's eight hours, is have it be about everything having to do with what Star Trek touches. You know, it's not just the actors, it's the writers and the showrunners and the producers and the designers, Mami Melamod, the marvelous composer is going to be on this year. It's the scientists and the politicians. We wanted to have Stacey Abrams on this year. It's the, the storytellers, the podcasters. It's this incredible world that has that has come together over the last 50 or 60 years and we kind of want to look at all of it you know well john i am looking forward to it i'm thank you so much for coming on the show to spread the word and i'm glad to have you back anytime thank you aaron you are you're such a mensch i can't thank you enough <laughs> I would like to thank John for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Now, if you're interested in Trek Talks 3 because you are interested in Star Trek programming, but haven't been able to go to a convention up till now, or maybe you've been at conventions where you didn't really see a heavy influence of Star Trek, I strongly recommend if you can go and watch Trek Talks 3 live, set that date on your calendar, and go ahead and do it. 
if you can't, if it's already happened, go on YouTube and watch the recorded version because based on what I've seen from previous Trek Talks events, this is Star Trek programming of the highest caliber. You have people who have been on the show or who are experts on the show really getting into the nitty gritty of what was done on the show and why. And that's something you're going to see at only the best conventions. That and you don't have to pay to get in. You don't have to leave your couch. It's the best of both worlds, no pun intended, when it comes to a Star Trek convention. Now, what I will ask is that if you have the opportunity, if it's within your means, take the money you would have spent on a convention. That could be $50, $100 easily, even if it's $5, and offer it to Hollywood Food Coalition. Or if for some reason you don't want to do that, I'm sure John would be happy if you gave it to any charity that you felt was worthy in your own neighborhood to do good for you. If you would like, I would appreciate listening to how you were affected by the Trek Talks event and what you decided to do to make your community better. You could reach out to me at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com, find me on social media at Instagram, Blue Sky, or Twitter at Aaron Bossig. Please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.